Are you annoyed by affirmations? Are you tired of that same old rehashed personal growth advice that all seems to boil down to think positively and all your problems will go away? If affirmations feel like lies and positive thinking feels like denial, then I want you to get ready. The overwhelmed brain is here to help you create the life you want now. Welcome to the Overwhelmed Brain. My name is Paul Coliani. I'm a personal empowerment coach, and this is the show where I help you tackle life's toughest challenges. I want to help you increase your emotional intelligence, strengthen your self-worth and self-esteem, and empower you so that you can make decisions that are right for you. Everything I talk about on this show is my personal opinion and is meant for informational and educational purposes only. Always consult a medical or psychological professional before making any changes that could affect your physical or mental health. All right, I'm going to do something a little different today, and that is not read an email, at least not yet. I might later, I'm not sure. (laughs) What I'm going to do, though, is read you a post from the Overwhelmed Brain Empowerment Group on Facebook. If you're a part of that group, you've already seen me post this. If you're not, check it out. Go to Facebook and join the group. I'd love to have you. And for those of you who have uh, wanted to join but haven't been allowed access yet, you just haven't answered the question. (laughs) There's one question you have to answer, and that's if you're 18 or older. So uh, if you've joined and you still haven't received access, just go into Facebook and answer that question that's probably waiting somewhere in your messages from Facebook. Anyway, I did post something in that group, and I'll do this every now and then. I'll post something like, um, uh, when I'm angry, this is what I do to calm down. I might post something like that, and then a lot of people will respond. And it's helpful to see other people's responses because it will give you an idea of what maybe you can do in that particular situation or in a situation that I'm referring to, depending on what I post. My most recent post was, I want a teacher that helps me understand people that blank. So the idea is to fill in the blank. I want a teacher that helps me understand people that, and then I got a bunch of responses. And I want to thank the people in the group for responding And um, this gives me something to talk about today because what I'm going to do is hit these pretty quick and see what I can do to give a quick answer. Not that I'm claiming to be that teacher that can help people understand what they're talking about or what they'd like to learn more about, Uh, but I'm going to give you my two cents, my opinion on a few of these in a rapid fire kind of way. So I won't spend too much time on any of them. But I, I think it'll be interesting because I haven't thought about these too hard. I've, I'm just looking at these now, and I'm, I'm going to be coming up with answers on the fly. So I haven't had time to think about these things. So I may not be able to answer some of these things. Uh, sometimes it takes some thought. And, you know, you've heard some of the questions. If you've been listening a while, you've heard some of the questions that uh, come to me that I read on the air. And some of them are complex, and they have interweaving storylines and (laughs) plot points and all these challenges that uh, can come with just living day-to-day life and especially uh, around people that make day-to-day life a little bit challenging. Not only that, you can be around people that make life challenging, but you also bring your own challenges into all these relationships that you have. Just like a person that I was talking to the other day who has a marriage issue, and he's not sure if he's going to stay in the marriage or not. His marriage has gotten better 
because he's been able to uh, talk with his wife and express what's going on and tell her that, you know, these things really bother me, so I would like to work on these things instead of just leaving the marriage. When you, when you just leave the marriage without saying these things, then there's no chance. And it was hard for him to express these challenges because he didn't want to face that confrontation. He didn't want to face her reaction, her response. And um, that's one thing I always encourage. Before you do anything outside your, of a relationship or if you want to leave the relationship, why not just get it out? Why not just talk to the person that you're with and say, hey, look, these things bother me and they're really making me consider a step that I don't want to consider. They're really making me think about not being in this relationship, if that's what you're thinking about. Because what's worse, you know, holding that in, being triggered all the time, waiting for the other person to change, which it seems a lot of them never do. Some do, but most don't especially when they do something that we don't like and we don't tell them that we don't like it. Or we express in ways that are passive-aggressive. And those passive-aggressive comments that we make don't express your literal thought. So you might have a literal thought of, when you do that, it makes me feel like you don't love me. Or when you do that, I'm embarrassed to be with you. Or when you do that, so on and so forth. And I would like you to stop doing that. That's more direct, as opposed to a passive-aggressive comment like, oh, I guess when we get to the party, you're going to want to drink, you know, something like that, you know, whatever the subject is. And that doesn't go well, because passive-aggressive comments build resentment in other people and externalize your resentment in an unhealthy way. So this is why it's important, in my opinion, to express so it doesn't extend into the relationship for the long term. Because I've, I know people that have held on to something that they wanted their partner to change, but they never really expressed it in a literal way that also made them aware of the accountability for behavior not changing. For example, if you're with someone who has behavior that you don't like, it's maybe against your value system, maybe against your belief system, or maybe um, you just don't like it for any reason. And you don't express that you, hey, I don't like that behavior. Uh, if that doesn't change, I don't know if I could be around you or in this relationship. So do you plan on working on that in yourself? Or is this something that I need to uh, realize that it's just how you are and you don't want to change? And I accept that. So maybe I need to do something else. I mean, that's really simplifying it. But it lets the other person know that there is accountability for behavior that they don't like. It doesn't mean you can't accept people's bad behavior and move on. But if you're in that constant triggered state, that emotionally charged state where you witness behavior that you don't like, that's against some value or belief or ethics or morals or something that um, you aren't in alignment with, you have what I call uh, one of the four choices. You can reject that behavior and stick around, which makes you unhappy. You can reject that behavior and leave, which would get you out of the situation that continues to make you unhappy, even though there's some might be some pain involved. You can accept that behavior and stay, which might be a path to happiness where you allow someone to be themselves and you can come to an acceptance about that and just say, well, that's who they are. 
but I love everything else about them, so I'm just going to accept that. Or the last choice, which is you can accept that behavior and not stick around, leave. And when you do that, you're saying, hey, I accept you for exactly who you are, but it's not something I want in my life, so I'm going to leave. That's basically the only choices in life pretty much ever when it comes to dealing with someone else's behavior. I mean, there are probably gray areas there, but what's helpful is coming to a place of uh, knowing where you are with those four choices. Where am I with those four choices? Well, my significant other or my friend or my coworker does a behavior I don't appreciate. Do I accept that behavior? No, no, I reject it. I reject it. Okay, am I still in that situation? The work situation might be harder, but let's just say, let's just ask ourselves, am I still in that situation? Yes. So if I reject that behavior and I stay in that situation, then am I causing my own grief? That might be. Like I said, it might be difficult to make that choice because, hey, I'm working. I, I need the money. But there is a level of responsibility here that you need to take for yourself when you're in a relationship with someone and you choose to accept or reject their behavior. I think the most empowered decision you can make is to accept their behavior and choose to stay or leave. I think that's the most empowered. It can also be empowering to reject their behavior and leave. I can't accept this. I'm leaving. But the problem with rejecting and leaving is that you're not accepting the person for where they are in their life. I mean, that's not the problem, but the problem might be in you where you can't accept that kind of behavior from anyone. So now you develop a judgment toward people that do that behavior. I'm not saying that's uh, the case all the time, but that's that can happen. Then that can be detrimental to your personal growth. So if you are with someone who um, makes fun of another race, for example, and you don't like it, you reject it, and you just think it's bad behavior... And you decide you can't stand this person and you decide to leave, you know, that'll be a good choice for you that's within your values and within your boundaries and within your beliefs and everything. However, when you go out into the world, you're probably going to have a bias against people that are like that. I'm not saying that's a problem necessarily because that can move you to action, that can move you to taking a stance for minorities or different races and saying, no, it's not right to do that. They can move you into that position. But when you don't move into that, what I might call a place of power, where you're actually taking a stand and saying, no, this isn't right and I'm going to stand up for these people, and you decide just to hold it in and just tell yourself, I can't stand people like that. You know, someone that you might consider a racist. And I don't want to be around people like that. And I'm going to hold a grudge against people like that. And when I'm around people like that, I will be unhappy because I am near those people. That's sometimes hard to avoid, but what are you doing with the negative energy that you're putting toward these people? I'm not saying it's a good thing to be racist. I'm not saying that you should accept them for who they are and not try to at least highlight what they're saying might have some faults in their thinking. But at the same time, we all develop values based on our upbringing, based on our experiences, based on our friendships and enemy ships <laughs> and uh, being in the school system or being around groups of people that have their values, they all rub off on us in some way. They all influence us. So to look at someone who's, for example, been racist all his or her life and say, you're a bad person for being racist, it diminishes what could be 
more productive. It could even diminish that person. And I'm not here to say that there aren't people that don't deserve diminishing. (laughs) That's probably a bad thing to say. But uh, there are people out there that have done very, very heinous things uh, and probably deserve some diminishing. Like, you are not on the same level as us. You're, You're doing very bad things. But then there are people out there with opinions. And opinions aren't necessarily actions. Just because someone doesn't like a class or a race of people doesn't mean they're doing things to that class or race of people. Now, before you uh, make any assumptions from what I just said, because <laughs> this is another one of those thin ice subject matters, there's a big difference between saying, I don't like that person or I don't like those people and actually doing something violent against that person or those people. There's a big difference. Uh, of course, there's also the subtle changes in our culture. When you say, I don't like that person, and you get someone else on board with you who doesn't like that person, and now you have a segment of the population that says, I don't like those people, I don't like that behavior. And that's when it turns political. (laughs) That's when it turns into side against side. And that's when a lot of people start developing a distaste or even a hatred for that side. And then what happens is we don't look at the rest of that person's values. We look at what that person represents that is a major problem for us. That person represents how bad racism has got in this country. That person represents that giant subject. And that may be true. There may be a representative of racism in that person in this uh, particular example. But what happens is we judge the entire person including actions that they may never have taken just because they have an opinion that differs from ours. So I'm, I'm not giving racists a break here. <laughs> I'm not saying, hey, it's okay. Everyone has a right to be who they want to be, even though that's true. Everyone does have a right to be who they want to be. But I'm not saying, okay, you know, give racists a break here. What I am saying is that you have opinions that differ from other people that believe they're right too. And that's that's a challenge, especially in this politically charged atmosphere that we're in today. You voted for him. You voted for her. You're a bad person. I've just diminished you and devalued you to everything that person that you voted for stands for. I look at you and if you voted for Clinton, then everything I feel about Clinton, I feel about you. You voted for Trump, then everything I feel about Trump, I feel about you. That's such a division That's so that divides us so much because we devalue and diminish and invalidate everything else about the person. I guarantee you that the person that you look at that you don't like because they like someone that you don't like doesn't have all the same values that the person that they like has. I guarantee it. And if they do, then I'm wrong. (laughs) But I want you to look at a person as a person with their own values and their own beliefs and their own conditioning and their upbringing and uh, influence that has happened over the years that came to a point where they like or don't like certain people, like or don't like certain behaviors, but it doesn't make them bad people. It just makes for a difference of opinion. Now, what changes 
that person from having a different opinion to being someone that maybe you don't want to associate or relate to is when that person takes action that uh, goes against your values. You know, all this other stuff is in your brain. It's in your mind. Their opinions are in their mind. It does affect their behavior, sure. If you know someone that's a racist and they go to the grocery store and they choose the only cashier that's of a different color because they don't like the colors of the other cashiers and they'll wait in a really long line for that one cashier because they don't want to deal with the other ones, then they're making their own life harder. And they are certainly taking actions in the world that devalue and, de and diminish others. And those actions are going to have an effect on their life. Their life is going to be a series of challenges because our culture is so diverse. At least in the U.S. I know it is. But, you know, almost everywhere we are just moving in on different territories everywhere. Everyone's moving in on different territories and becoming a globally diverse culture. And because of that, there's two things that are happening. There are people that are opposing it and there are people that are for it. And the people that are for it are so happy that we can all mix and mingle and get along instead of being so differentiated. Now, I know there's still racism issues in a lot of places, including here in the U.S. So I don't want to make it sound like, hey, things are getting better all the time. Because if you are of a particular race that is being slanted against or biased or judged in some way, then it's difficult. And I can't speak to that. But I can speak to the fact that we have become more culturalized and diversified so that we can all learn to understand one another. And I think it's going to take a long time. And I don't mean this to be political, but I think it's a good idea to understand that all of this begins with an opinion in our own mind. Our opinion is that we like a certain thing or don't like a certain thing. And we know people that like certain things and don't like certain things. And then it's up to us to determine if we want to be around those people, if we want to accept who they are or reject who they are. And are we giving them a fair chance? Meaning, you know, you see these arguments that break out on Facebook and social media of, I can't believe you voted for that person. You're not my friend anymore. Click unfriend. I've seen that so much, especially with the 2016 elections, people unfriending people that disagree with them. And instead of listening to all of their values, they said, oh, you like that person? That person doesn't represent who I want to be. Therefore, I don't like you. Just like if you looked at someone who was a racist and said, oh, because you don't like that group of people, I don't like you. Instead of listening to why, a lot of the times we don't want to hear the why. We just see, oh, you don't like that person or group of people, so I don't like you. I mean, I remember I had a friend, a coworker friend that I worked with in the 90s. His name was Dale. And Dale was African-American. He was black and really good friend of mine. We laughed together all the time. I'm white in case you don't know. <laughs> so uh, we would talk about racism issues because he would tell me things like, you know, you read an article in the newspaper and they talk about uh, a guy who robbed a bank. If it's a white guy, they never say a white guy robbed the bank. If it's a black guy, they always say a black male entered the bank and robbed the bank. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. Is that true? And maybe in the 90s it was more true than it is now because I think they say a Caucasian male and stuff like that or whatever the nationality they say. 
we still laugh about that, even though what he was saying to him, his perception of how the world worked was true. His perception was probably that a bunch of white people were writing articles about um, crime, and when they talked about a particular perpetrator of a crime, they didn't label someone as white, but they would label someone as black. And so he noticed that, and I never did because I never thought about it, but he thought about it. That was an issue for him. Uh, Another thing that he'd, he'd say to me, which was kind of surprising, is he said, I don't like the white race. And I was like, what? <laughs> you know, because we're friends, you know, and he would say some of the things that white people, the race, have done to his people. And I said, that's fascinating. And I didn't have all the tools and as much communication skills as I have today. So I didn't ask a lot of the right questions, but we'd sort of laugh about that. He would laugh about it. He goes, I know it's odd because I like white people because when I get to know them, um, if they're good people, then, you know, I allow them into my circle and everything's good but white people in general he's probably felt oppressed i don't think he said that at the time but he probably felt oppressed in many ways and i'm sure some of that information was passed down through his family but my point is that i was a white person in his world and he liked me he didn't hold it against me that i had certain values and beliefs that didn't match his and he didn't hold it against me that i was white So we got along great, and it wasn't an issue. And he also didn't hold it against me that I liked the white race. (laughs) I like the black race, too. I like all races. But he didn't hold it against me. And then we fast forward to today, where we look at someone, and we see that they like someone that we don't like. Where do we go with that? Do we then say, oh, that, that means that person is just as bad as the person they like? I say we take a lesson from my friend Dale, who was willing to be open and honest about a race of people. I mean, that's a big admission. Willing to be open and honest about, and I'm not talking about just racism, just talking about anything, a class of people, uh, an individual person. Willing to be open and honest saying, I don't really like this class of people, this race of people, that person, because they did A, B, C, D. However, when I learn more about that person and learn that they aren't necessarily like the other people I don't like, then I can allow that person into my fold. I can allow that person into my circle. And then that helps my world, my reality, become a brighter, more expansive place. There's a lot in between the lines here that I hope I'm conveying well that doesn't make it sound like you should go out and support the KKK or something. I'm not, not saying any of this. I'm just asking you to be aware that when you hold a certain belief or perception about someone because they have certain beliefs or perceptions and you can't accept them because they have that belief or perception, then what it does is close you off, makes you hold grudges, puts the negativity inside you so that you become less global, less open-minded, I guess. When we start pointing the finger and say, oh, you like that person, you voted for that person, that makes you a bad person. Suddenly, we've defined their entire existence based on an opinion they have. So again, there's some in-between-the-lines stuff here, and not everyone will resonate with everything I say. And um, I am skating on thin ice because I don't want to make it sound like there aren't people out there that are really doing heinously bad behavior and maybe we should do something about it. 
But what I am saying is that when we start to listen to what's under the surface of those opinions, we start learning more about the person. And this does segue into that Facebook post that I posted in the Overwhelmed Brain Empowerment Group because there are some judgments that not everyone agrees with. There, there are some biased opinions. There are some values that some people have that others don't. And I got to give it to the group. Nobody responded to any of the comments in a way that said, hey, how can you possibly believe that? Because the group is pretty open-minded and pretty accepting of everyone. So when we come back, I'm going to read you a bunch of the responses and give you my opinions on these responses and uh, see where we can get. It should be kind of fun. Be right back. All right, welcome back. We survived that skating on thin ice segment. And we're going to get right back into that topic where I posted the following comment on Facebook. It was a fill-in-the-blank comment, um, and it was this. I want a teacher that helps me understand people that blank. I mean, I bet you something comes up for you too. The first answer was, I want a teacher that helps me understand people that support Trump. (laughs) I was shocked that nobody made a comment on that. But I'm happy they didn't because this was an opportunity to express yourself in a safe place where you won't feel judged. So my only comment on this is I have a friend that supported Trump and everyone else supported someone else. So she feels like an outsider. And every now and then our other friends will talk about, oh, that Trump, (laughs) what do you do now? So I decided to talk to my friend who supported Trump and I asked her, why? Why did you support Trump? I'm just curious. I, w- I want to know what caused you to come to that decision. And she shared things with me that had a lot of similarities with my own core values. I didn't support Trump. I'm not going to talk politics or tell you who I supported, but it was very enlightening to me to talk to this person who supported Trump and said the things that resonated with me. And I thought, well, that puts this whole thing in perspective. She supported Trump for many of the same things that I would appreciate in my life. That opened my world. It's not that I didn't think that before, but that really expanded my world. And it made me realize, oh man, some of the people that support Trump really get stepped on and squashed, especially in social media, when it turns out a lot of us want the same thing. (laughs) I'm not saying he's going about it the right way, and again, I'm not going to get into that political commentary. However, I did find an article that might be interesting to you. It's from the Virginia Gazette. It's uh, vagazette.com. And it's by an author ma- named Joseph B. Filco. And he wrote, so why did people vote for Donald Trump? And uh, he actually, it's a very good article. And I, I recommend you check it out. Um, if you're not a Trump supporter, or even if you are, and you are curious about why people may have supported someone that you may or may not like. So check that out if you have time. It's it's a vagazette.com by Joseph B. Filco, and the title was, So Why Did People Vote for Donald Trump? Anyway, I'm going to go right to the next response. I want a teacher that helps me understand people that, and the next response was, Ghost, after a long-term relationship, no closure. So ghosting, I I think I talked about it somewhere in an article or maybe on this show. 
Um, but ghosting is when the person that you're with simply disappears. They don't text, they don't call. It's like you don't exist. And you reach out to them and they don't respond. They're ghosts. This often happens in uh, emotionally abusive relationships or manipulative relationships where, especially when you first meet someone, you're starting to date and you've had some dates and everything went well and then they disappear. And you're texting and you're phoning them and they're not answering and they're not responding. And then three weeks out of the blue, they'll send you a text and say, hey, how's it going? And you're thinking, what the heck? I, tr I tried to reach you and now you're reaching out to me out of the blue? And you don't even address that you've been missing for three weeks? That's what typically ghosting is. In this case, um, this person's saying that after a long-term relationship, they disappeared. And I tell you what, this is my opinion on this. When someone ghosts you, they've usually already changed their mind about the relationship long before the relationship ends. So th this is my opinion. I'm not saying it's every time, but this is what I've seen happen, especially in long-term relationships. Someone's in a long-term relationship and I don't know, I, I guess this happened to me. I didn't even think about this. Uh, in my first long-term relationship, uh, about two years before the relationship ended, we started losing connection. Uh, there was no more sex. I mean, maybe once. And then there was nothing left. We were just existing together and I didn't know what was going on and I started getting depressed and I wasn't sure what was happening and I was afraid to be confrontational like I was talking about in the first segment. Why didn't I just speak up and say, hey, you know, what's going on here? Uh, but it took two years before I finally said, hey, you know what, there's uh, something wrong here. Are you still in love with me? And she said no. Um, and the next day she moved out. And from that point on, she was a ghost. We didn't talk. I mean, every now and then. I could tell she still cared about me, but our relationship was over for her. She was happy to, to move on and get out of this relationship. And I look back now and I say, I'm happy for her that she did that because it would have been worse and worse and worse if we'd stayed in that relationship. But she became a ghost because she had already made her mind up two years previous. And if she had left then, it might have been a different story. But for her, she started ghosting two years before the relationship ended because she was ready to move on. Now, that doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it better. It doesn't make it anything. It just means that some people lose the emotional connection for many reasons, and they want to move on. And sometimes they don't know how to move on. So when they're in the relationship, you might see signs that they've moved on in some way, that there's less emotional connection, that there's less sex, that there's less something. And then when the relationship ends, it's a relief. I am out of this. I am finally free of this. That's, that's kind of depressing to hear, I know, because what? You left. There's no closure. But they left way before the relationship ended. It's just the fact that now that they're not in the relationship, there's no accountability for their behavior, and they don't have to answer to anyone. They're free. They move on. That's their feeling. I'm free. I can move on doesn't mean you're a bad person. It just means that they were unable to express what they were going through before the relationship ended. They were unable to express what they felt. I don't know, their fears, their concerns, their falling out of love, whatever it was. And so they may not have had the ability or the mental resources to be able to share that while they were in the relationship. And there's a bit of immaturity to it too. 
Uh, I'm not saying in my first relationship this applies, but in ghosting, when you disappear out of a long-term relationship, it means you're moving on with your life, but it doesn't mean that what we had together wasn't special because maybe it was while they were still connected, before they started ghosting while they were in the relationship. So that's a, that's my quick opinion. I don't want to get too involved with that because I'm going to go through a bunch of these. But um, yes, you say, I want a teacher that helps me understand people that ghost. Not everyone's going to be the same way. Some people disappear because they are not emotionally invested or connected anymore. And that hurts. And yes, it does feel like a lack of closure. And you can't do anything about it because now they're gone. You can't get the reasons. You can't get anything out of them because they're moving on. They'd made the decision long before their relationship ended. How do you get closure from that? One of the only things I can think of at this moment is that you remember a time when there were issues in the relationship that you didn't talk about, that you didn't bring up, so that you can understand that there was a small part that you played, or maybe a big part, that maybe you could have played while you were in the relationship. Just like my first long-term relationship, two years before our relationship ended, I should have said something. I should have said, hey, you know, that's kind of odd. Uh, we normally do this at night, and now we're not doing that anymore. Or you normally kiss me when you get home, and you don't do that anymore. You know, certain things that I chose to ignore and deny and hold in my true thoughts and emotions because I was afraid of confrontation, because I was afraid if I say anything, she's going to leave. So I'd rather just let it build up and have it be more terrible when it all comes out. There's more depth to that, that I'm not going to get into, but... There are symptoms of a relationship that when they happen, it's good to bring up. It's good to bring them up. I'm not saying every relationship's like that because there are some relationships that just end. And you're like, what the heck just happened? They were the same person they were when we met and suddenly they're gone? I don't know what to say about that. Those people are just enigmas to me. They've got their own agenda. They're doing their own thing. Maybe that's something they need to work on in themselves, and maybe the rest of the world will never understand them. And we just have to invest more in ourselves so that we can realize that we're still worthy, we're still lovable, and yes, you are worthy, you are lovable. Ghosting doesn't mean you're not that. It just means they are a ghost. I'm going to go on to the next one. Uh, I want a teacher that helps me understand people that are unwilling or have little desire to change for the better. That's a good one, right? Why are people unwilling or have little desire to change for the better? I think there's two trains of thought on that. The first train of thought is, what do you mean? There's nothing wrong with me. <laughs> I think you'll run into people like that. The rest of the world is the problem. I'm fine. Not saying they're narcissists, but I'm sure they say that too. But there are people that think, no, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm fine. It's that person. Or people keep breaking up with me in my relationship. That's not my problem. It's their problem. I'm not going to change who I am. I'm adding a little attitude there. <laughs> but yes, there are those types of people who just don't believe there's a problem with me. I mean, look at something in your life that you feel really confident about and that you don't want to change. Hey, I feel really confident about this part of my life, so I don't want to change that. And if someone comes along who, for example, is in some way better in that area of your life and you look at them and you go wow they're much better off than i am in that area of life do you then go huh maybe there is something i could do to improve that or do you hold on to the idea that oh no this is the way i like it and i don't need to improve upon that so i'm going to hold on to that there are some people that do that no this is fine the way it is i don't need to improve upon that 
I'm not saying that's an unhealthy attitude. I'm saying it's a possibility that they hold the idea that they don't need to improve because there are probably areas in your life that you think, well, I don't need to improve. Maybe. I mean, maybe not. I look at every area of my life and go, yes, I can improve in so many ways. (laughs) Every way that I have, I can improve upon. That, I think, takes a special type of person. For someone to look at their own life and know that they can improve in any aspect of life, that takes a lot of introspection and reflection. People who reflect, people who think about how they can be better people are special types of people. And yes, if you're listening, you're a special type of person. (laughs) You're probably one of the few people in your groups of friends and family that look at their own life in a way and asks the question, how can I improve? What can I do to better myself? Whereas some people are on that day-to-day grind just getting through every day and don't even have time to think about improvement. There's that too. But I told you there's two trains of thought on this. The other train is very similar to what I just said. They're on the daily grind routine. They really don't believe there's any more time or money to be able to improve. So having desire is irrelevant. Desire to change is irrelevant when I don't have enough time to do it or I don't have enough money to do it or I don't have enough support around me to do it. Or here's a third train of thought. Like I said, I haven't previewed these questions at all. Um, So these are just coming to me. Um, Third train of thought is life is hard. I've been either neglected or traumatized or abused. And I believe that uh, there's no other way life can be. And I'm going to hold on to these beliefs until the day I die. I want to feel better, but I don't really believe I can. So there's a belief in there too. Um, The second one about there's not enough time and not enough money. Yes, we all hear that, hey, we all have 24 hours a day, but some of us have kids and some of us have a low-paying job and some of us have other things that prevent us from utilizing the same 24 hours. I mean, there's so many factors that um, a lot of people will put down. Well, I have the same 24 hours as you do. I have the same opportunities to make $100,000 a year as you do. I think that's an unproductive attitude to have towards people because everyone is different. Everyone has different skill sets. Everyone has different limited beliefs that hold them back. Old triggers, old traumas, old abuse. That's number three again. So those are the top three, I think, for that answer, for understanding people that are unwilling or have little desire to change for the better. And of course, there are those people that are very similar to number one who just don't think they have to. Because until there's enough accountability, some people don't feel like they need to change. This is something I mentioned about emotional abuse. Uh, Emotionally abusive people never think they have to stop being emotionally abusive because the person they're abusing stays in the relationship. So there's no reason to stop. Where's the accountability? Uh, That's a deep subject I've talked about before. So let's get to the next one. I want a teacher that helps me understand people that are hypocritical. There's a good one. Um, Those are people who make fun of other people, but they do it themselves. That's the person who says, uh, let me think of a good example. Don't drive so fast. And then you're in a car with them and they're driving 90 down a 65. And you think, wow, what a hypocrite. I mean, there are worse examples than that. But the only thing I have to say about this is that the do as I say, not as I do (laughs) attitude, I think has a little bit to do with, maybe partially to do with a superiority complex. The only reason I say that is that it can feel good to some people to make them feel bad about themselves. There's one half of that. I think the other half of it is in order to address what I don't want to address in me, I'm going to point it out in you. 
that's sort of a psychological projection too. There's something going on in me that I should probably change, but I don't really want to address that, or I'm going to deny that, or I'm going to ignore that. So I'm going to point it out in you. And in some way, shape, or form, that makes me feel better. That doesn't really help you deal with hypocritical people, but at least maybe there's an understanding about why they do what they do. Next one is, uh, I want a teacher that helps me understand people that are scared to change, so they run. That sounds like very much like uh, the ghosting thing, right? I'm scared to change. That's like I'm saying I'm scared to confront you. I'm scared to express myself. I'm scared to tell you how I really feel, so I got to get out of here. And that does have to do with just taking that leap of faith and wanting to say what's on your mind, knowing that the person could be angry when you do it, knowing that the person could throw a proverbial punch back at you or a real punch back at you. If you feel there's a real threat of violence, of course you may run or you may stay and fight. I don't know. But if you're afraid of someone yelling at you, you may not want to address what needs changing either in you or in the relationship or in the other person. So you avoid it. And so, like I said, I think that has to do with having something to express but not expressing it because of a huge fear of confrontation or a huge fear of facing things in themselves that they don't want to face. So yeah, there's more to that. That's a deeper subject. That's a good one though. Uh, let's see. Another one is, and this is right along the same lines. I want a teacher that helps me understand people that don't communicate. Uh, I'm not going to say too much on that. Uh, that would be nice. <laughs> it would be great if everyone could communicate, but it's just not a skill that some people have too much of. Oh, how about this one? I want a teacher that helps me understand people that stab a friend in the back. Oh yeah. So that's really selfish behavior. That is, I need to protect me. I need to worry about me. And I will do that at any cost. I will stab my friend in the back to get my needs met because I am more important. There's a little narcissism in there, or maybe a lot of narcissism in there. I am most important. And I don't care who I have to steamroll to uh, get what I want. Plus, you know, a lot of this has to do with love and money, right? I'm going to stab someone in the back because I love that person and I want that person in my life. So I'm going to, this happens like in teenage years too. I'm going to stab my best friend in the back to get the boy or to get the girl. Love makes us do crazy things. I mean, some people. And money makes us do crazy things. Some people. And how many detective shows have you watched where money was the prime motivator for someone being selfish? I mean, geez, what was it? Uh, Lucent Technologies or... Some of the big companies that um, the main financial team extorted everyone's retirement money so that when people went to retire, half their funds were gone or even more. I actually met a guy in a restaurant um, 10 years ago or so who worked, I think it was for Lucent. I apologize if it's not, but I think he worked for Lucent. And at that time, there was a big scandal going on. And this was an older guy. And he said, I was ready to retire. I put all my eggs in one basket and I was ready to retire. I was going to enjoy life and they stole our money and now I have to work the rest of my life. You know how sad that was to hear? That is just an awful, awful story. But that's what money can do to some people. They don't think about anyone else. They only think about themselves. And those people just don't have too much heart for other people. They just don't have the compassion. 
You know, it's likely they were raised by someone without too much heart or compassion, or maybe saw behavior that was selfish, that when that selfish behavior paid off in the form of happiness, they saw that as the reward system, but not necessarily seeing the after effects of everyone else's downfall. That's a tough one. That's a deep one. I mean, stabbing a friend in the back, that, that's a betrayal. That sort of goes along the same lines of um, infidelity. When you cheat on your partner, that's a huge betrayal. I would put that in a similar category. It can be about your own gratification without regard for your friends or family or your intimate partner. Self-gratification gives you that quick high, like a drug. It gives you that quick high. And certainly it's no fun to go through. Hopefully you don't have friends or people in your life that do that. But I also think you need to be aware that that can happen. Just like if you go into business with a friend, always have a contract. (laughs) Always have a piece of paper or emails that lay out the terms. And even then, there's no guarantee. That doesn't mean you should be miserable and always expecting the worst. You just have to be prepared for the worst. And it's not always easy to do. All right, I'm going to read one more before we go to the end of the show. And uh, I'll read a few more during the outro music. Um, This one is... I want a teacher that helps me understand people that lie to themselves to justify their terrible behavior. Yeah, me too. (laughs) No, I get it. I've seen this a lot in pathological liars where they will literally convince themselves that what they're doing, the lies, the the cheating, the uh, deception, everything they're doing is justified. It is justifiable. And they also tend to believe that what they're doing isn't harming other people. A lot of these people that lie to themselves believe that what they're doing isn't harming others. Uh, Just like my girlfriend's ex believed that his cheating wasn't harming his wife, his now ex-wife, my girlfriend. He truly believed that it wasn't harming her. So he was happy to go out and cheat and be with other people and then come back home to his marriage and his family course, there was some antisocial personality going on there. So the lack of empathy played a huge role there. But um, what this person in the group is saying is, I want to understand people who can lie to themselves to justify their terrible behavior. So, you know, what is terrible behavior? That, that could be cheating in a marriage, or that could be some sort of betrayal, could be the hypocritical thing, stabbing someone in the back, a lot of the stuff that I've already mentioned. But um, I look at this, if I'm going to give you a a quick opinion on this, I look at this as a survival mechanism that goes back a long way. If I protect myself, then I am surviving. That could be one of my highest values. It could be that I value surviving over being honest, over being in integrity, over telling other people what is really on my mind. I value surviving. So what I do is I base all my behavior and my decisions on the premise of survival. And if I'm doing that, if my most important concept of existence is survival, then I'm going to do anything, right or wrong, good or bad, lie or tell the truth, to make sure I survive. Because that's the most important thing. So it could be some values mixed up there, or it could be another thing, is that they don't want to feel bad. I mean, think about that. Nobody wants to feel bad. I'm going to make that generalization. (laughs) Nobody wants to feel bad. So how can I feel good? I'll just lie to myself. People do this. My mom did it for years. I don't want to feel bad, so I'm going to lie to myself that I'm really not in the worst marriage of all time. I'm going to lie to myself. I'm going to be in denial. 
I'm going to lie to myself that it's okay to stay in this marriage because it's better than not being married to this abusive alcoholic. It's easier. It's denial to the max. It's just easier to lie to myself so I don't have to feel the pain. So I think that's why some people do it. Well, anyway, thank you so much for those who posted in the Facebook group uh, who gave you the answers. There's a ton more that I didn't get to that I'll probably address maybe in another episode in the future. Uh, I'm gonna, I am going to address a few more during the outro music, so um, we have a little bit more to talk about. But when we come back, I'll say some thank yous and my goodbyes, and we'll close the show very shortly, right after this. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. Hope you got something out of it. We didn't have a sponsor today, but I'd like to give a special shout out to Kaya Biotics over at kayabiotics.com. That's K-A-Y-A biotics.com. They're not paying me to say this. <laughs> I just like to refer you to companies that I believe are doing good for people and the planet. So for that good gut health, check out kayabiotics.com. And use the promo code BRAIN when you purchase so you get $15 off your first order. And I want to thank Melissa and Brian, they're new members of the patron program over at patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com. It's a way we support the show, and it's also a way I like to give back. So if you are a patron member, you get a ton of private episodes that I've created and I'm continuing to create and the addendum worksheets and workbooks that go with these episodes, and also some workbooks and worksheets that you've never seen because I do not put them out in the public space anywhere. Well, there are a few that I do, but uh, most of them are solely for patron members. So if you want to show your support for the show, head over to patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com, and that's where you can do it. And, of course, you can do what Anna did, which was use the donate button on the website at theoverwhelmedbrain.com, and she is a monthly sustaining member as well. So there are ways to support the show, like using the Amazon button too at theoverwhelmedbrain.com. All extremely helpful in keeping this show going, keeping it running for almost five years now. I mean, that's November's next month. November 2013 was the inception of The Overwhelmed Brain, at least the podcast. The blog was out a little longer. And then uh, November 2018 is coming right up. So five years, thanks to your support. And even your listenership, even if you can't support financially, just you listening and sharing the episodes and telling your friends, it gets the word out. I appreciate you. I appreciate you doing that. I think it's important what we talk about over here. I think as a collective, we can improve the world. We can improve people's lives just by working on ourselves. Do I need to quote, be the change? <laughs> Probably not. You've heard that quote a million times, but I think it applies. So thank you so much. And I also want to share something with you that I'm working on that's, uh, again, I believe, important to the world. I mean, that's my opinion. <laughs> but I believe it's important because I keep getting letters about it. And that's social anxiety. So I've decided to create this product. I'm going to release it around December 1st. And I want to make it so effective that it either diminishes or dissolves it on the spot. I don't know if I can do that. <laughs> that's a big task. But I know that there are other people that have worked with people with social anxiety and other types of anxiety that know how to do this, that know how to get rid of it. And what I've decided to do is reach out to all of the most brilliant people I could find 
you know, I have connections, and uh, have quick 10 to 15 minute conversations with them, asking them for only the gold nuggets on how to dissolve or diminish social anxiety and how you can manage social anxiety when it's happening to you. In other words, on the spot, in the moment, when you're experiencing that anxiety, what can you do to decrease the symptoms and maybe even feel better altogether so that you can not only survive the moment, but thrive in the moment. That's what I want to do with social anxiety. Like I said, I get so many letters on social anxiety. I just want this to go away. And we all can't afford weeks or months or even years of therapy. I know how that is. That's why I'm creating a product on it so you can just pay for it once and have this resource indefinitely. But, you know, reaching that thrive feeling is a tall order. So that's why I reached out to these experts. They've been working with clients for years on their anxieties, and I'm tapping them for only the best and even the most uh, unorthodox advice on the subject so that you can get back in control of your state. I hear it over and over again from people that write to me with social anxiety that they just want to be able to make it go away. I don't know if I can make it go away myself, but I know the people I've connected with can. And what I'm working on is, is designed to work like an audio pill. You know how you just take a pill for a headache? These audio pills will be what you plug into your ears, your headphones, when you're about to experience or are experiencing social anxiety. I mean, you know what social anxiety is, right? You're, you get nervous around people or in public situations or about to make a presentation or a speech. There's millions of people that experience this, so I know it's much needed. But these audio pills will be for when you're getting ready to go somewhere where you know you normally experience anxiety. They're for the drive over. Therefore, when you're actually in the moment feeling the anxiety and maybe you have to step into the bathroom real quick and take that audio pill. I know it sounds weird. <laughs> but the goal is to help you gain your life back and uh, interrupting the anxiety in the moment will be a powerful step toward getting past it altogether. So there's a lot more I want to tell you, but um, I want to save it for next time while I put all these pieces together. Uh, one of the pieces is something that I want you involved in, and that's a survey. Because I want to give you the most powerful product on social anxiety on the planet. And in order to do that, I need you to take this survey so that you can share with me your pain points and what you're experiencing. So that I can address those pain points in the final product. Your input is so important, so valuable. Because I want to help you get past any social phobia or anxiety that you have. This is a really cool method. I think it's going to be something that can help almost everyone experiencing it. So here's what you do. Uh, to take the survey, visit theoverwhelmedbrain.com forward slash safe. That's the word safe, S-A-F-E. It stands for Social Anxiety Freedom and Ease. And it's an empowerment system designed specifically for you. But I need your input so it's exactly what you need, not what I think you need. And as an incentive, but not only listening to this long sort of infomercial I just gave you, you'll get 30% off if you choose to pre-order the safe system at that time. If you do the survey before November 1st, 2018, you'll get the 30% discount. And after that, the survey won't exist anymore. So let me finish this section up and say if you experience any form of social anxiety or even social awkwardness, please at least take the survey so that I can help you and others get past that stage in your life because it's a stage, it's going to pass, but I want you to get past it faster. I want to, I want to accelerate this process because some people think it's never going to end and I want it to be able to end for you. I want you to start enjoying yourself while you're out and about. 
You deserve it. You've been working on yourself. I know you have. You've earned the ability to thrive and enjoy yourself while you're out and about. Visit theoverwhelmedbrain.com forward slash safe. Take the survey. And if you want the safe system, it's the best time to order it so you'll get the discount. And as soon as the product is released on December 1st, 2018, you'll be the first to have it. So there you go, theoverwhelmedbrain.com forward slash safe. And finally, I'd like to thank Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in The Overwhelmed Brain. And like I was saying in the last segment, uh, I want a teacher that helps me understand people that, what? (laughs) What comes up for you? I want a teacher that helps me understand people that, I mean, you can replace the word teacher with anyone, mentor, uh, book, video. I want something that helps me understand people that, what? Like for me, I want a teacher that helps me understand people that kick their children out for being gay. That really bothers me. I've I've read some awful stories of children that got kicked out just because it was against some religious or cultural or some personal belief system the parents had or one of the parents had. And the child had nowhere to go. Nowhere. And they ended up on the street They ended up doing drugs. They ended up in prostitution. They ended up doing things that they never would have done had these children had a family that maybe didn't accept their lifestyle but accepted them as their child, then the child's life could have gone a lot better. So that's one of the things that really hit my heart is that I don't understand people that have such a strong opinion. We were talking about opinions on the first segment, right? A strong opinion against someone's choices, someone's way of life, that they're willing to put them in harm's way like that. This is something that's important to me that really makes me sad that it happened. So it would be great if I understood that more. And I think I understand it from a psychological perspective. I can come up with the reasons. I can come up with, you know, it's a threat to their identity, so they don't want to be associated. You know, I can talk about all that stuff But really, when it comes down to it, I drop my teacher role. I drop that I know about human behavior and just want to understand this behavior in a way that springs some sort of closure. Because when I read stories like that, I don't go into logical, rational mode and think, well, the reason they did that is because of this. I go into my heart space and feel sad and feel compassion for these children that get treated this way. And that's just one of many, many ways children suffer that affects me. So that's a little personal aside from me. But I want to read you a couple more replies to that Facebook post just to uh, just to fit as much into this episode as I can. Uh, the question is, I want a teacher that helps me understand people that, and here's the next one, road rage. <laughs> There's a good one. I remember seeing another post saying, oh, I'm laughing because that's what I do. I road rage. <laughs> so she wants a teacher that helps her understand people that road rage. You know, Here's the thing. Have you ever wanted to run someone off the road? (laughs) Hopefully not, but I have. (laughs) Because they did something so stupid and so threatening that it scared the heck out of you. And when it scares you, you go into a, a fight or flight or even freeze state, depending on who you are. But you feel threatened. You feel like, wow, that person just threatened my life. That's what it feels like. That's when road rage can kick in. And you've seen people, or maybe you're one of these people, 
that chased someone down, <laughs> that followed them, that how about even blocked them? You have no idea how many road rage videos I've watched. There's a lot to learn in road rage videos, not only in what causes road rage, but um, also how people can respond and behave in uh, times when they are in this fight or flight or freeze mode where their adrenaline's pumping and they do feel some sort of threat. Sometimes it has to do with vengeance. Like, I want to get back at that person. But I think vengeance has that root of, you just threatened me in some way. I felt threatened. You are a detriment or a obstacle to my survival. And that means you need to pay. So there's a, you know, when I look at this, there's a little bit of vengeance in there. But also, I need to teach you a lesson, which might be rooted in vengeance too. But by me teaching you this lesson, it also gives me closure because I am so open with rage. So I need to take that out on you so that you don't do it again. There's some sort of vindication there if we just are able to get it out of our system. Now, what's funny, uh, not that road rage is funny, but what's funny is that I've actually witnessed uh, a couple um, episodes of road rage. One recently where someone, behind, it was a three-lane highway, someone was pulling in to the middle lane from the right and someone else was pulling into the middle lane from the left. I was watching this in my rearview mirror. And as the person was pulling in from the left, it kind of cut off the person pulling in from the right. And I have a feeling one of them didn't have their blinker on and just pulled into the lane because the person on the right, we ended up at a stoplight, comes forward and in front of the person that cut them off. And he gets, he's a big guy, he gets out of his truck. And it was another truck pulling a trailer. And he walks over to the person driving the truck and it turned out to be a small older woman. And he just got mad and he didn't know what to say because now he can't take his aggression out, at least this is what it looked like, on a smaller, older woman. And he just kind of huffed and puffed and went back to his truck. I th he might have said, you know, you need to watch where you're driving or something like that. But I could tell that there might have been more had he met up with someone, I don't know, another guy his age or younger, but he didn't. So it makes me think of, well, how do you get closure when the person who threatened your life turns out to be, I'm just going to say the word even though it might not be true, oblivious or unintentional. She, she had no idea she was oblivious or it was totally unintentional. Maybe she didn't put her blinker on. Who knows? But here he is like, oh, this rage. And then he can't do anything with it. Where does it go? I mean, this is just a side thought too. <laughs> Where does your rage go when you find out the person who did it isn't the person you thought it might be or you can't take that anger out? Usually, from what I've seen, it starts to dissipate after some time because there's no one else to blame. There's no one else to take responsibility for that behavior. Even though you can still be mad at that older lady, he chose not to. And it probably dissipated in him. He probably had to feel it for the next few hours, but it dissipated in him and then it went away. Actually, I think that can lead to closure when you have a different opinion about the person who did it. That's why I think it's important when someone is very toxic in your life to see them as not being able to be any other way. It's almost as if they don't know how to be any other way. And if you accept that they don't know how to be any other way, it's very hard to hold on to anger toward them. It's another deeper subject for another time, 
But um, that's what my thoughts are on road rage, that it can happen because we feel a threat to our life. And, you know, we're on the road with thousands of cars and trucks and everything you can think of, motorcycles and buses and vans. And it's shocking how well the system works most of the time. It's shocking that we don't get into more accidents. I mean, there are a lot of accidents, but it, it really is a surprise that we can all drive on the road and follow rules and get to our destination unscathed. <laughs> so when it does happen, it's no fun and we can get angry, but at the same time, we can also be grateful for how many times uh, it's successful. So road rage is a good one. I might have to have an episode on that one day. Um, what's the next one? We'll do one more. Uh, I want a teacher that helps me understand people that don't really listen to your story. They only wait for a pause to tell their worst experience. Oh my God, I had a friend that did this or may still do this. And uh, I used to call her out for it. I said, you know, every time one of us tells a story, it was like a group of us in a work environment. I said, every time one of us tells a story, you have something that one-ups all of our stories. If I say I had a tooth pulled, you'll say, oh, I had four teeth pulled, and it was so painful. If I say I had a car accident, you'll tell me, oh, I was involved in a multi-car accident where there were fatalities. I mean, I told her, you're always one-upping everyone. And I didn't say it as, you know, I was mad or anything. I said it because it was hilarious. I actually called it out. I said, do you realize that you do that? You one-up every story that we have? It's almost as if our stories don't matter. I don't think I said that to her directly, but it's funny because you can meet someone who is waiting for your story to finish so they can tell you their story. There's a great Brian Regan skit on YouTube if you look it up. Uh, Brian Regan's a comedian and he calls it the me monster where he's waiting for the story to end and he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> he's waiting for the person to finish their story. Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, 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 me. Me, me, me. And he starts talking about himself. And it's the perfect example of someone who one-ups people. I find him funny. You may not. But <laughs> I think it's hilarious. And it's a commentary on what uh, some people do. They wait for you to stop talking so they can share their story. So I can be the center of attention. So people can look at me as if I'm special. So this is my answer to that. Is someone who waits for the pause to tell their worst experience. And doesn't listen to your story. And even one-ups you. There's a feeling of importance. There's a feeling of significance. There's a feeling of value when someone does that because I can put myself in their shoes. I can, I've certainly done this myself. Oh, let me tell this story. People will laugh. People will like me. I'll get attention. I'll get love. I'll get more of what I want. It's filling the ego. It's feeling like you're a part of something bigger. It's feeling like you're accepted. I mean, all of these things that maybe someone didn't experience in childhood as much as they needed it. That's what tends to happen is that we bring what we lack in childhood or what was neglected to us in childhood to our adult world. And usually we annoy people with our lack. <laughs> That's probably a bad way to put it. But what we bring in from childhood that we lacked then, we typically seek now. In my experience, this is what I've seen. So when someone's looking for that attention, so when someone's looking for people to look at them, it makes them feel special. And maybe they didn't feel special as a kid. 
So, you know, there's a few ways to look at this. You know, there could be the N-word again, narcissism. It could be a chemical response. When people laugh at me, I feel good. It could be the lack that they bring in from childhood, and that's what they're fulfilling. It could be a number of things. I personally like to call it out when people do that, if it happens over and over again. If it happens once in a while, no big deal. But if they didn't even hear my story, I might say, you weren't even listening. All you wanted to do was tell your story to make it sound like you had some better experience or worse experience. But I usually make it out, make a joke out of it. If it's someone that's toxic and will get offended, then maybe I probably shouldn't be hanging around those people. But there's my response to that. There's a lot more in the Facebook group. If you go to Facebook and you want to join the group, look for the Overwhelmed Brain Empowerment Group and join up and make sure to answer that one question so you don't get stuck in limbo waiting to be let in. You got to be 18 or older. Speaking of limbo, I don't want you to be in limbo. How do you avoid limbo? Keep your mind open. This will help you step into your power so that you can be firm in your decisions and actions so that you can create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you, you are amazing. Amazing.